It's the People Show. I'm Josh Elliott Wolf here on Sportsnet 650, coming to you live from the Kintec Footwear and Orthotics Studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. No big today. He is sick. Not in the usual way. He's regularly a pretty sick individual. But Stop it. He's, well, he, he is. Am I wrong? He is sick. You're opening with a dad joke? Well, gotta, gotta lean into it. But that's fine. He's just sick. He's on the pup list. Physically yeah, he's unable on, he's on, to perform. He'll be back sometime. But today it is uh, just me and Dom. How's it going? I'm good. I'd be better if the Canucks would win. <laughs> that would be nice. But even when they win, it's like not super convincing, but that's fine. Uh, text in 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. It is the people show, so we will take your takes. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. So, yeah, the Canucks, they laid another egg last night, something that they tend to do often this year. Thatcher Demko, he's still broken, I think. I don't know what's going on with him. I still believe in him turning it around, to be fair. I just think he's he's having his issues. You know what it is? He's not you know, a sick individual. Oh, God. What, what is it? Are we going to bring you back tomorrow? Uh, no, it's OT tomorrow. Don't oh worry. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you know how golfers get the yips? Sometimes they can't chip around the green or they've got, yeah. they're yippy with the driver. So me, anytime I'm golfing. Yeah. Yes. Actually, that is true. I have golf with you. Um, <laughs> well, you're a good putter. But thank uh, you. Yeah. Um, I just think. Demko's got the yips right now. He's a bit yippy. I I agree. I also wonder where the like c- this whole injury situation is weird because nobody's really talking about it in the organization. But also, we all know he's he is or was injured in some way over the off season. So I don't know. It's a weird situation. I think he is going to turn it around at some point, but it's not going great so far. And Spencer Martin has kind of been the guy. I wonder how much that workload is kind of going to change. And we'll talk about that with Ian McIntyre, Sportsnet, Sportsnet's triple threat, the closer, quadruple threat. So many nicknames for Ian. He is on at 3.30 today. Also, Ken Priestley, Mr. Fix-It, is going to join us at 3.15 on The People Show. I am Josh Elliott Wolf. So, let's get into last night's game. I talked about Thatcher Demko. I also want to mention... JT Miller. So the Canucks lose 5-2 to two in Montreal. They took that momentum from the third period they had in Ottawa on Tuesday, and they did nothing with it. They flushed it. They flushed it. They just said, hey, that was fun. Let's not do that again. And then they did it. Uh, JT Miller back at center. I want to talk about that a little bit because I really think that the contract he got over the offseason is a fair contract. I don't know if the Canucks should have been the team giving it. That's a whole nother story. But I think he, the contract is fair. Regardless, I don't think he should still be playing at center. And I think that's a that's a fair take and a, a pretty common one across Canucks fandom right now that he's just not looking like a guy that should be playing down the middle. And when he did play on the wing with Horvat, he looked a lot better. And he looked like the Miller we knew, the Miller that probably deserved the $8 million per season, but... Now that he's back at center, we saw that giveaway last night, and his defensive issues are once again being emphasized. And I don't know if that means – I don't know if I'm saying he can't be a center long term, but at least for the short term, 
I do think they need to figure out a way to get him back on wing. And a little bit of news today, Tanner Pearson placed on IR. I don't think they announced what the injury was, but he is, no, on, they he is on IR. Yeah. So that might open up because we saw what the Canucks did when Besser was out. Top nine forward was out on the wing. They moved Miller back to the wing and loaded up the top six. I wonder if they would do that again because it was definitely a, a much better looking situation for JT Miller. It's tough, though, because he's getting paid to be a guy that plays down the middle for you. And if eventually... Oh, I'd push back on that. Well, at least for now. You're paying him to score goals. Paying him to get... It's tough because he... I think if he didn't play center last season, and maybe I'm wrong, I think he may have gotten a little bit less on a contract. Just, sure. Just a little bit. So but I he think also had 99 points. Playing at center. I get that. But, like, it's a little – it's frustrating because mm-hmm. he came into the season touting how much he wanted to work on his defensive game and how much he wanted to be a defensive presence. And he might look worse. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough out there. So, rather than trying to stick him in situations where he is – how should we say – a uh, – Defensive liability. Oh, you would say that? Yeah, no. Um, That's put him in advantageous offensive positions and go to someone else when you need defense. Yeah. Here's my take. Is the Pedersen line with Mikheyev and Kuzmenko, that should be, and I know it's been firing on all cylinders and you want it to be deployed in offensive situations, but I almost wonder if you should be trying to use that line as a matchup line a little bit more because I think they're going to win most of their their battles with whatever line you match them up against because they are so they're so Pedersen and Mikheyev especially are so dominant defensively and that translates into their offensive game so if you can have them matching up against other teams top lines and have Miller back on the wing with Horvat I don't think either of those two Miller or Horvat are necessarily as good defensively as some people nationally might think they are so put them in more offensive situations especially if you put garland or besser with them and just let them work get points be those guys that get to go out against the other teams maybe second or third line and have them try to find value that way because as it sits now this team they can score goals and that's fine but there's just they're 11th in the league and scoring. Yeah, that's fine. That's great. But something defensively isn't working, so you have to try different things. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's just the forward group. I think it's it's also the defense. And that's a whole other situation that would have to unfold. So, with all that in mind, I know a lot of people on the station, a lot of people in the market, we're all kind of looking at the big picture right now with how this season has started. And things are just consistently frustrating with the team right now. We all harp on the fact that they need a shakeup. They need a shakeup in a bad way. And I completely agree with all of that. I see all the holes on the roster that everybody else has seen. But my question is, and my question to the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line, what is the solution? Because there's long-term problems, there's short-term problems, Whatever the problem is, 
there has to be a solution in some way, right? Because I think a lot of us are complaining and putting stuff out on air and saying everything that everyone wants to hear. Oh, this team needs a rebuild. They're not good enough to win, not bad enough to lose. They're right in the middle, and it sucks. They are the Minnesota of, like, every Minnesota team is just a middle team. (laughs) They are in a Minnesota state right now. It's tough. And I don't think I'm a Vikings fan. I know this is true. The Canucks are the Midwest. The Canucks, (laughs) they're just in the middle. And we all get that. So you kind of got to pick a direction. But what's the solution? And I think short term, I don't think the team is looking to turn things around this year. I think you look at what they're doing and like, there's just no way that even if they go on a miracle run, are they going to do damage in the playoffs? Probably not. So I don't know how much shifting the lineup around really changes, especially short term. Like you can maybe mix in a few more Spencer Martin starts as we talked about if you really think Demko is struggling. But again, I think you just kind of have to let Demko figure this out because he's never had these kind of issues in the AHL or in college. This is kind of the first prolonged stretch aside from maybe a bit uh, at the beginning of his NHL tenure when he was like taken over from Markstrom and when Markstrom was injured. He hasn't had a stretch like this where he's consistently struggled. And that's why I know people are worried about the injury, but you got to let him work his way through it. I think the only short-term situation I would change is that Miller at center. I know he had success there last year. We talked about it. He almost put up 100 points, had a career year, got a contract because of it, but he just isn't making up for the defensive deficiencies this season. And I still think he's a winger. I I think he's a winger long-term, and I'd really like to see him move back there, at least until he finds a stride. And to to the value of the contract's perspective of trying to extract $8 million worth out of JT Miller, at least for the next few seasons, I think the best way to extract that would be having him on the wing, playing with someone like Bo Bo Horvat, at least until you make a decision on Bo Horvat. And maybe Tanner Pearson being put back on IR has Boudreaux go back to loading up the top top six. But I think regardless, just put Miller on the wing with Horvat. And that would do a couple things. Not only would it help Miller potentially get back to the form we saw from him last year, and we saw it in the small sample size he was on the wing this year, but it would also give Horvat another elite playmaker on his line. And we know Horvat has more success when he has playmakers on his wing. So... It would do that, but also it would continue to increase the trade value of Bo Horvat if he has someone like Miller, maybe Garland on the other side, two elite playmaking wingers on his flanks, and that could be a really good way of making sure his numbers stay around the pace they're at, at least until the team makes a decision on Horvat. And I think a lot of us, myself included, hope that's a trade because there's just not a lot of ways you see the team getting better if they keep Bull Horvat and sign him to an, a contract around eight-ish million or whatever it would be. But that's, I think, especially if you're kind of punting on this year and you want to make sure so, what your, your only trade asset that you have to make a decision on this year has the most success in Bo Horvat, you want to put JT Miller on his wing. Uh, we got a couple texts, 650-650, the Dunbar-Lumber text line, the solution 
This is from Jeffro. The solution, do what Rutherford said and keep building, building, building. Sign Horvat, move Miller to the wing, keep those two and the other three, plus Pot Colson, shuffle everything else. Defense has got to get better. Timeout. Timeout. That's great. How are you going to fix the defense if That's you do thing. that? And I know Sad has talked about this a lot on Canuck Central. You you already overpay for your defense. You can't add salary to the defense. And to your point, Dom, like if you sign Horvat, how are you making the defense better? You have no cap. You have no assets. Like that's your one asset you can move this year. Is exactly. Horvat. Any other asset, there's no positive value right now. Aside from maybe Andre Kuzmenko. And then if you really want to get crazy, Thatcher Demko, maybe, maybe Elias Pettersson if you're really crazy and you're completely no committing chance. to stop tearing it, it down. No, it. But, yeah, exactly. You're not signing Horvat and then being like, hey, let's let's trade Pettersson, right? Like, no, stop. <laughs> just stop. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> That's not happening. Um, but I do agree with part of that, part of that text from Jeffro where it says, keep building, building, building. Because a lot of the talk going around the city right now is that you just need to completely burn it down, sell everything, and that's great. It's easy to talk about trading everything. It's easy to talk about rebuilding and just getting rid of everything. But when you actually break it down and look at the roster, like the only player, and I just mentioned it, that has positive value right now that you have to make a decision on this year is Bo Horvat. And again, maybe Andre Kuzmenko if you don't think you're going to sign him long term. Other than that, who are you trading that actually makes your team better and wouldn't cost assets to move? I just want to say yes, that you can really kickstart a retool on the fly, in air quotes. That's my favorite. My favorite if, saying. Or, or um, what, a refurbishing, if you want to get technical. <laughs> um, That's a good word, refurbish. Yeah. yeah, I like that one. With those two pieces. Like, if, if you really think that you can get a haul that can help you defensively for Horvat and Kuzmenko, and I get everyone's in love with Kuzi. I get it. Great personality, scores a ton. He's a fun guy. You need to figure out the blue line. This team will never take steps forward if you don't add to the blue line. And the easiest and most effective way of doing that, I don't know if you agree or not, is trading out Horvat and possibly Kuzmenko. Those are two pieces that if you trade out at the the deadline to a contender – you're going to get the most for those two pieces. I agree. My, here's my thing, though, is you have to find teams, and Ken Priestley is going to join us in a couple minutes here, Mr. Fix-It, but you have to find identify players that are maybe on entry-level contracts if you're going to try to fix this defense because the way you look at it now, it's you can't add salary to the defense because it's already one of the most overpaid defensive groups in the NHL, and... It's so frustrating. You kind of have to figure out a way to move someone like Tyler Myers. If you can figure out a way for someone to maybe take on OEL, that's a lot harder because of the no movement clauses. Then that's that's a situation where you can move one of those guys, trade Horvat, and then you can add a bit of salary to the to the back end. But for now, I think you kind of have to do with it, do deal with it as it is right now. It's it's tough. It's it's really difficult because I think this year you move out Horvat and that works out, and 
but that's kind of the only move you can make. Uh, we'll bring in Mr. F- or Mr. Fixit, Ken Priestley, right now. Thanks for this, Ken. How are you? Good. Yourself? I am doing well. Thank you for taking the time. Bick is away today, so it's me, Josh Elliott Wolf, on the People Show. Um, what have you thought of the past couple games for the Canucks? I know the uh, the president came out on Monday, said a lot of things, but it didn't seem like we saw a lot of change on the ice. Yeah, those are tough. Those are tough comments to 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 have to hear as, uh, from a team, right? Usually, they're uh, obviously put in situations where hopefully you get the, a reaction from your team and hopefully you get, uh, you know, better results on the ice. I think the, the Ottawa game, it, it, it started off a little bit of a struggle, but uh, at, by the end of it, they had found their way in the third period and, and were able to get two points out of it. Uh, unfortunately, in the Montreal game, it kind of started off the way Ottawa did, but, uh, but they just couldn't figure out a way to, uh, to get it back. I mean, Montreal looked like a very a very eager, hungry team, and, and uh, they had lots of energy uh, after the back-to-back, but uh, Vancouver was struggling to find their way. Yeah, and I wanted to touch on, so as a player, when you're in the room and management, I and I guess this doesn't happen often, but when management comes in and they, they criticize the coach publicly like that, what does that do? Do the players in the room kind of rally around the coach? Because I think we saw it a bit in Ottawa, but maybe it didn't carry over to Montreal. Yeah, you know what, I... I... I, I tend to think that uh, the players hear it. They tend to, to, to tune that stuff out, right? They're, they obviously know that they're, they're being critiqued in every move that they make. Uh, the coach is being critiqued in every move that they make. I mean, it's, 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 it's inevitable when a team starts off the way the Canucks have started off from, from every position, goaltending, defense, and forwards, that the, the record is, uh, shows what, uh, what the struggle is. But um, I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure that they're, they're able to control any of that stuff. Right. I mean, they, if there's, if it looks like to me right now, and, and I was, unfortunately, I couldn't watch the game as from the beginning at, at real time. I had to watch when I came home last night and the, it, it looked like to me that the, the Canucks are almost a beaten team right away. If they don't get a lead or if they don't have a, you know, a lead right away and they get down a couple of goals, they're almost beaten and you can almost see it on their faces. I mean, every time the, every time the TV sort of pans the, the bench or, 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 or looked at anybody's face, it was always like doom and gloom, right? There was never any, there's not a lot of positivity coming out of those guys right now. And I can only imagine the, all the stuff that's being said about them, that it's kind of dragging, but um, that that's the position that they're in right now, and they got to find a way to way to get out of it. Uh, the only way that I think you can get out of it is as a group. And sometimes, if the group's not cohesive and the group's not together and pulling on the same uh, same rope, it, it's a lot more difficult than uh, than other times. And how difficult is it? Because we know last year Thatcher Demko was pretty close to being a Vesna candidate, really held them in it in a lot of games. And this year we've seen kind of the opposite. How difficult is it as a player when you kind of expect someone like Demko to maybe bail you out at times and then all of a sudden he's not? How how disheartening is that uh, if you're a player on the team? You know what I I, uh, I I played for a long time and I and I never really was uh, on a team that ever blamed the goaltender. I think maybe maybe back of your own personal mind you say, okay, he should have had this, he should have had that. But I've never been in a, in a group that's ever just blamed the goaltender because they're in a position that uh, obviously 
if a goal goes in, it's their fault, right? I mean, we, we all say the defenseman could have had this guy, the forward didn't back check, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, when the, when the, when the goal is scored, they always look at the goaltender. Unfortunately, Thatcher has had such a good couple of years and everybody's been treated to this magnificent goaltending, winning games by himself uh, efforts that uh, we come to expect it. And, and you kind of think, okay, well, you know, you know, Demko is going to come to play. Let's see what the defense or the forwards or what the other guys are going to have. But um, yeah, now when, now when, now when Thatcher is not playing his game uh, or not up to where we think he should be playing at his game, it just, uh, it just overemphasizes everything that all the mistakes and, and, and what was made up for with a big save is now in the back of the net. And it, it, it is, it's a tough thing to play, but uh, I don't think that the players would be necessarily blaming goaltending for it. I mean, they may have something now who knows, but uh, it looks like the, the, you know, Vancouver's got a real tough thing going on mentally, physically, everything to do with that group looks like it's a challenge at the moment. And, and hopefully we change it. Uh, we change it soon. Hopefully something happens. It's a spark that changes this because uh, I really do believe that they have parts there that are definitely going to make this team a, a winning team. It's just at, at, at the moment, it, it's just a, a struggle. To me, when I watch this team, it kind of it kind of feels like they're almost just waiting for something to change. I know it happened last year with Boudreaux came in, and all of a sudden the team was performing at or above their expectations. Like, do you do you look at this team and think it just needs some short sort of shakeup to really get things going? Well, I think it's probably an, uh, it's probably a good idea. I mean, uh, I'm. We're, we're, we're sitting back here analyzing these things and hoping that this happens and hoping that that happens and maybe this will make a change and maybe it won't. Um, last year, obviously, the start was not good and they had to make a change. It was, it was something that was going on. They bring, in, uh, they bring in a new coach and look at the energy that it created. I mean, this type of stuff in, in pro sports that teams go through, um, it's inevitable that something's going to have to happen, whether it be a trade or a coaching change or or, you know, just something clicks that makes this team realize that uh, they have to have fun again. And uh, the biggest thing right now is it just doesn't look like they're having fun. They just don't believe in, in, in whatever game plan they have. They don't believe in each other. It's just a real tough slog for these guys at the moment. And, and how difficult, like, because this can kind of snowball, right? Especially if it happens earlier in the se- early in the season like it is now. It, are you kind of looking to maybe – see one guy snap out of it and then maybe that causes a chain reaction because I think we look at Patterson and he's been he's been good all year but then you look at and and same with Horvat but maybe someone like Miller who they they might need to snap out of it what have you thought of I I guess I'll start with Patterson what have you what have you thought of Patterson's game this year you know what I I honestly think his game has been good I mean he's been he's been consistent he's he's playing in more opportunities and penalty kill and power play and five on five I think at at times, obviously, his his connections with other players has been uh, Kuzmenko has been great, right? I mean, I think Horvat has definitely showed that he's uh, a leader on this team and he's willing to do whatever it takes to to make this team better. Um, there's there's individual players that are that are definitely performing up to uh, up to the standards that everybody's that everybody's accustomed to. But it's just it's a team it's a team sport. It's not it's not any individual is going to win you a game and. And I think we're seeing that right now. Like we're seeing some really great, great efforts, great goals. We're seeing some stuff on the backside that's that's encouraging. 
Uh, it's just at the end of the day, the end result, something is something has happened, whether it be a poor start or a poor time in penalty kill or, you know, you have a lead going into the third and all of a sudden you, you, you get one against you, you get another one against you, and now you're tied. And, and no one has that confidence that we're going to be able to shake out of it. But, uh, you know, it's it's something. Something will happen, and, and whether it be a trade or a coaching move, um, it will happen again, but I think it's going to have to happen sooner than later. He is Mr. Fix-It, Ken Priestley. Thanks for this, Ken. Uh, have a good one. Thank you, guys. Take care. All right, that is Ken Priestley. This is The People Show. I am Josh Elliott. Well, filling in for Bick, but Dom is still here, and Dom has some uh, people's picks. Dom? Oh. I got it. Okay. Just pulling up the read. Thank you. Why are you hurrying? I was just worried. There was a lot Jeez. of dead space there. No. It we have a, music. It was my head. It's fine. Uh, the People's Picks, brought to you by Play Now Sports. Every game will feel like the big game when you bet with Play Now Sports. Brought to you by BCLC. Uh, looking at the Thursday Nighter, trying to find you some value. Uh, tough when it's a fight between the Falcons. Oh, keep the music up, intern Evan. Don't worry about it. You're good. I have a turn. Uh, tough to find value in a game like this between the Falcons and the Panthers, but what I like today, I'm going to take the Falcons money line, 1.64. It's not terrible. If you lay $10 down, that's about 16 bucks in return. I'll take that every day of the year. I have a lot of faith in the Falcons tonight. The Panthers are just trash. I also like this pick. Marcus Mariota, total passing completions. I'm taking over 14 and a half. I think the Falcons, for whatever reason, run roughshaw all over the Panthers. The Panthers. I can see it. I think Mariota is going to be chucking the ball in the first half a bunch. I think he's going to get to over 14 and a half, and then in the second half, they'll probably resort back to the run. So there are my two picks for the people's picks. Take the Falcons' money line. And uh, Marcus Mariota passing uh, completions over 14 and a half. That's today's People's Picks brought to you by Play Now Sports. When you choose to bet on sports at playnow.com, you're playing on the only site whose profits go back to BC. That is the People's Picks. A non-official pick for me. I kind of like a Patterson, Cordell Patterson TD tonight. Just a little over even money. Let me guess. He's on one of your fantasy teams? He is not. Oh! He he uh, got a couple touchdowns on me last week, so I wasn't happy about oh, that. And go. he's back. He's back from injury. Uh, but that is the People's Picks. This is the People's Show. I am Josh Elliott. Wolf back on the other side with Ian McIntyre on Sportsnet 650. It's the People Show. I am Josh Elliott. Well, filling in for the sick Bick Nazar, who is out today, uh, just on the pup list, according to Dom. Uh, wishing him all the best. Coming up next, after at four o'clock, will be Canuck Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Harmon Dial joining them today at four thirty. I do want to get a couple texts in before we get to Ian McIntyre. Uh, we got a few texts. I was asking what the solution is you think for the Canucks either this season or long term. We got a few texts about this. Uh, one of them here. I would like to see them move Besser 
So my take on the whole Besser situation is I do think there might be value in moving him. But that being said, you kind of have to build up his value a little bit because he's come back from injury. I know he's often injured, but coming back from injury, you got to build up his value a little bit if you want to get a decent return for him. Uh, Right now, we will talk to Sportsnet's triple threat, Ian McIntyre. He's on the road. Thanks for this, Ian. How, How are you? I'm doing very well. I I guess probably better than the Canucks and uh, who who struggled so badly. They knocked Bick out of his host chair for today. <laughs> yeah. He's he needs a lot of people need recovery time after watching what happened. <laughs> yeah, they himself. made him sick. I can't believe it. <laughs> yes, I mean I think they made a few people sick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so are, are you in Toronto right now? How's the uh, how's the road trip going? Uh, well, it's been eventful. Um, <laughs> You know, riding the roller coaster uh, along with the team. You know, the they were awful uh, in the second period in Ottawa. It looked like they were going to get blown out against a pretty poor team. They came back and and won, and that lowered the temperature on everything and eased a little bit of tension. And that lasted all of what about 21 hours until they started the the game in Montreal and and were just. Uh, terrible you know in in the first period they weren't you know they've had worse periods in terms of you know territorial play and and maybe even scoring chances although they gave up way too many uh, in the first period but it's just the recurrence of such uh, basic faults you know things that are not survivable like the Miller turnover in his own slot and not getting a save where pucks are leaking through Thatcher Demko and and even uh, the penalty kill, which overall is just inching a little better bit by bit, but still gave up its only goal on the first chance Montreal had. So when the game, you know, the game's being decided in the first period, the penalty killing gave up a goal after 12 seconds and a terrible penalty by, by Tanner Pearson. We've seen other terrible penalties by Tanner Pearson this year. So, I, it was just such a regression from how they had finished the Ottawa game to how they started the Montreal game. But honestly, that's the story of of their season. When it looks like maybe they're making some progress, they they just take you know two steps back, and it looks like they're back to where they were in October when they lost their first seven games. Yeah, and it's pretty disheartening too when. You like you mentioned, you have that third period in Ottawa, and then you have your starter Thatcher Demko going back out there, and you're playing a team that's rebuilding. You think you can take advantage of them a little bit. They're also on a back to back, and then you come out flat like that. I I did want to ask a bit about Thatcher Demko because it it's so tough. Like we know what he's capable of, and we know what he can do. He just hasn't been that this year. Is there anything the team can do other than just ride it out? Like, do you see Spencer Martin maybe getting a few more starts until Demko's figured it out? Or what, like, how do you approach that situation? Well, I sure hope he does. I mean, yeah. if he doesn't, then then Bruce Boudreaux probably should be fired because uh, Spencer Martin has been terrific. Not brilliant, but he's been, he's been good. And, and Thatcher Demko certainly ha- has not been. So what do they do? They certainly don't have to roll uh, Thatcher out two out of three or three out of four games. And, and I don't think they're going to. Uh, I think, actually, had there been a day between uh, the Montreal and Ottawa games, I think there's a good chance that Spencer Martin would have just played two in a row. 
Um, but because it was back to back, uh, they gave uh, Boudreaux and Ian Clark gave gave Demko the start, and you know he had he had a good second period. It wasn't his fault uh, on the final two goals, which were you know terrible play by by Rathbone on a couple of occasions with an assist from Tyler Myers on the fifth goal. Um, those weren't Demko's fault, but it, again he he wasn't able to come up with with a save. And, but in the first period when the Canucks just needed a little help from their goalie, he he couldn't offer it. So uh, I think Spencer Martin absolutely has to play more often. And that doesn't mean that they just cast Thatcher Demko aside. They've got the best goaltending coach in the world on the payroll. And if it means that Demko can spend more time in practices with Ian Clark and try to work out some things, then that's that's beneficial too. But I think we can all see from watching how Thatcher played last night, the fact that he, for whatever reason, it wasn't it wasn't fully explained, wasn't available after the game. I don't think it's injury related. I don't think he was getting treatment, but maybe he was. But uh, I think I think uh, now the problem is mental as well as as well as physical, as it would be for most players. You know, we're not three games in. We're not five games. We're 14 games into the season. Uh, as of Saturday, it'll be a month since the Canucks played their first game. So we're not talking about somebody having a bad week or just uh, a tepid couple of games. This has been going on a while now, and I think I think uh, Demko's confidence needs to be rebuilt as well. Unfortunately, really the only way to do that is for him to go out and win games but until he's he's better physically at uh stopping the puck or until spencer martin you know blows uh an opportunity then then i think demko's gonna have to play less and try to do what he can in practices to get better Mm -hmm. and and there's been the the defense also isn't helping him out, and I don't know if they're really helping Spencer Martin out either. They just kind of seem to be scoring more when Spencer Martin is playing, and that that's helping a bit. And I do think the Ottawa game that was that was a goalie win, but I I also wanted to touch on J T Miller, and I know the the roster how it is right now with all the wingers they have. It's kind of set up to have Miller at center, and if they move Horvat, I that would also be a little more of a necessity to have Miller at center, but. To me, when I watch, I just don't like when I saw him on the wing with those couple games with Horvat. He seemed to kind of refine his groove a little bit. Do you think that's something they could go back to, especially now that Pearson's on IR and they're they're missing another winger again? Uh, I, I think it's something they should go back to. This they certainly could go back to it, and I think they should go back to it because uh, Miller was much better in his time as a winger than than he was at center. And the way things have gone for the hockey team, I don't think it should be a top priority right now to be a four-line team. And, you know, the back-to-backs are challenging, but there is some space between games as as well. Uh, Like they're having a day off today in, in Toronto. They'll have a good practice day tomorrow and then play Saturday night. Uh, I think that Boudreaux needs to shorten his bench and not only by benching some guys who make the big mistakes, which I wouldn't mind seeing either, because I think I think accountability is a huge issue, and it, it's it's an overlooked aspect 
of what Rutherford said on Monday, where uh, all of us, um, you know, had such a focus on what he was saying and the implications for for the coach and the support of Boudreaux, but really what he said about players and accountability, that they have to find a way to hold them accountable. I think that's a huge, that's a huge issue now uh, for, for this team. But I, for now, just load up your two lines, have, have Miller on the wing where, as he said himself, it's a simpler game. Uh, it's more direct, which suits him. Uh, I don't like to see JT Miller in the middle of the ice with the puck on his stick, not moving his feet and trying to figure out where to put it. I just think bad things, you know, bad thing happened in the Montreal game, but we saw when he was a center at the start of the year, bad things were happening more often then as well. So I'd, I'd like to see him go back, load up the two lines and, you know, you take, you take whoever's the best from the bottom six and they're your third line and you play them a little more and, and you don't necessarily worry about the fourth line. I, I don't think you, I don't think you need to be a four line team right now. You just need to be a team that can find a way to win some games. And when it comes to holding players accountable, like Rutherford mentioned, I think the easy, the easy option at the time that people pointed to was Tanner Pearson. And he was already kind of moving his way down the lineup. We saw he, he just seemed to have lost another step this year, especially with, we, I think he has eight minor penalties on the year, but now he's on IR that's kind of taken care of. Do you see another card that the team can play as far as maybe scratching someone or like, I think Pearson was kind of the only person they can maybe put on waivers, but like in what way can they hold players accountable now? Well, I think, I think the, the accountability, it's not just sort of big picture and somebody has a bad game. So they come out of the lineup. It's the accountability. What they're trying to get to is you actually have accountability almost on every shift. And, and so the accountability is if next game somebody hands the puck away to the opposition in front of the Canucks net, maybe that person should, should sit. And I, I want to be clear about something. You know, when Miller gave away the puck, the problem wasn't just that he gave away the puck. The problem is that he has given away the puck many times. And, and that's when you have to step in. If, if somebody makes a mistake, somebody's playing great, like let's say you know, Pedersen's been their best player. So if Pedersen has a mistake and the other team scores, you don't need to bench Pedersen. But you, you need to make sure that he understands what his mistake was. But you don't need to, to sit him down because he's played so well and, and that, you know, that mistake was an anomaly. It's the mistakes that recur that you need if the players aren't going to correct it then you have to do something to motivate them to correct it and taking away ice time is one of the most powerful motivational tools there is unfortunately it's also one of the last Um, and and that's why coaches don't want to play that card too often because uh, you know the players get accustomed to it once you take away sort of the shock value of, hey, you're not going out next shift, just have a seat. If you do that too often, then they just get accustomed to it and it's not going to have the effect that you know you, know, you want as, as a coach. But as far as how they hold guys accountable, you hold them accountable in practice, you hold them accountable in games. It's not just between, between games that you hold guys accountable. And I think there needs to be, and I think this is what Rutherford was getting at partly on Monday, 
there needs to be accountability within games because if you allow players to make the same mistakes over and over, how do you ever get them to change? And another thing Rutherford said that that was kind of the main topic people took from it on Monday was the team is just lacking structure. And then they come out and they they win against Ottawa, but I, I wouldn't say it was a convincing one. And then they, they have last night's game against Montreal. What is putting up those two back-to-back efforts after your president comes out and says that? What is What does that say about the players on the team and how they're responding to that? Well, they're just playing the same way that they they played for most of the previous 12 games. Mm-hmm. You know, they're no worse, but they're no better. So, you know, they they uh, I think they were motivated to win in Ottawa. But being motivated to win and motivated to play differently are two are two different things. I know a lot of guys really felt you know, on Monday that it was a challenge to them and and you know, as Bo Horvat said, and mind you, he scored twice, but he said, "Yeah, oh yeah, this is this victory is sweet." You know, and and that's part of the reason that it was. But you know, the team has played this slack style, this mistake-filled style since the start of the year, and they haven't changed much so far this week. They were very good the last 20, whatever it was, 28 minutes in Ottawa from the time of the Mikhaev goal in the second period where he torched ex-Canuck Travis Hamannick. Until the end of the game, they were very they were very good. They were very good in, in the third period last night, but it's uh, essentially that's garbage time. When it's 4 nothing in the NHL, that's garbage time. And uh, I don't know how you know much Montreal was really trying to add to their lead. They took a gift uh, to make it you know, five, two towards the end, but you know, there, there hasn't been, there hasn't been a lot of change, but again, I think that only reinforces this idea that it's, it's going to be up to the coaching staff to, to build accountability and to, to orchestrate a change, because if there's no change, then no change on the ice. And what the change is going to be is to the coaching staff. Because I think the one thing that everybody recognizes is they can't just continue like this. You know, they're 4-2-1 in their last seven, which is good. If they can go 4-2-1 and one in the next seven, then, you know, it, at least it buys them some time. And if they go 4-2-1 and one with all these imperfections, it's going to be concerning. We're going to have a lot to talk about. <laughs> but at least, you know, you kind of they have a little more latitude to work through their problems. But if they're going to have games like last night, a huge step back after taking a step forward 24 hours earlier, if they're going to have games like they did against uh, Buffalo in their home opener, if they're, even the way they they blew the lead against Nashville in a game that they were, you know, for two periods, it was arguably their best game of the year. They were probably playing better against Nashville than they did against Pittsburgh, and then it all kind of all kind of collapsed. We, you can't have these calamitous steps back that throws everything into question and into crisis again. They have to find a way to be a little more consistent, not just in their results, but in the way they play because they can't continue. Can't have another 14 games, the next 14 games, like these past 14 games have gone. 
Uh, I did want to end on a, on a good note. So this weekend, Sedin's and Luongo going into the Hall of Fame. Your thoughts on that and, and just what those three mean to the organization? Well, first of all, it, it's just a, a monumental achievement. It, it's an incredible day for those guys. And, you know, it reflects on the organization as well. Because right now, the Canucks have one player in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and that's Pavel Burry. And Pavel, Pavel Burry didn't really want to, you know, be in Vancouver after his second season, was incredibly talented and one of the most driven goal scorers that I've ever that I've ever covered. It didn't matter what goal that Pavel scored, he was he was excited uh to do it. And he scored an awful lot of them for Vancouver and he's he's in the Hall of Fame. But here's three guys and Luongo's a little different, you know, he came to them from other another team went back to that team at the end, but uh, might have finished a Canuck had Corey Schneider not come along. So the Sedins and, and Luongo, these guys were incredibly uh, driven, very different personalities, but so driven and so accountable, so such professionals in what they did. You know, the best among the best in the world at what they did, and yet they coupled that with a phenomenal professionalism and accountability. And, and I was thinking about that last night, you know, when Thatcher Demko didn't come out to talk to the media and that's happened a handful of times now in his starts this year, he hasn't come out and spoken. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that, that Roberto Luongo, uh, you know, blew off the press, a half dozen times in any one season. Uh, he and the Sedins were the same way. They were good or bad. They were out front uh, every night. And they answered for the bad nights. And they were there when people wanted to ask them about the good nights. And when they were all on the team together, there were more good nights than there'd ever been in the history of the franchise. It's it's really a symbol of a golden era, those three guys going into the Hall of Fame. And uh, I'm happy for all of them, especially happy with the scenes, because anyone who remembers how difficult it was for them at the start in Vancouver, the third old guys who probably weren't ready to play in the NHL at age 20, which is when they started, guys who physically got pushed around, who verbally were derided and belittled for a lot of their career, not only their early years, that they were tough enough physically and smart enough as players to figure out what they needed to do, and then incredibly so, so tough mentally to deal with all that and persevere and then become two of the best players in the world, spend their entire careers together, not just as blind mates, but as brothers. Imagine that you spend you spend your working life with your brother. Uh, it just it never happened before. Will never happen again. And I'm I'm pleased for them that they get this honor that they deserve. It's going to be a great weekend. Three stand up guys, amazing on and off the ice. Hey, Ian, you're also amazing on and off the ice. Well, at least off the ice. I don't know about on the ice. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to see me on the on the ice. <laughs> Yeah, but unless, uh, unless the ice is in a in a glass and I'm on a recliner somewhere on a beach in the summer, <laughs> that's when you're amazing. Case, I'm the... great with the ice. <laughs> yeah, uh, appreciate you taking the time in. Enjoy Toronto. All right, nice being on with you. Thanks for asking me.
That was Sportsnet's Triple Threat, Ian McIntyre, here on The People Show. I have been Josh Elliott Wolf filling in for Bick Nazar. Coming up next, it is Canuck Central. We got a Jet Canuck Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Harmon Dial at 4.30 and Mailbag at 5. Early edition of Mailbag Friday this week on a Thursday. That's coming up next here on Sportsnet 650.